And uh, we're up to chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at, just, at, sorry, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we should also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now we're going to go through this passage a bit and then I'm going to give an example of a true hero from the faith that no one calls a hero. Mm, That's good, isn't it? While we were still weak, or while we were still powerless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What were we weak to do? We were weak to make ourselves godly. We couldn't do it ourselves. We were weak to make ourselves right with God. We were weak to make ourselves. We were powerless. We were dead in our sin. We could not make ourselves right. And at just the right time, in God's big plan, he sent Jesus his Savior. Just the right time, which includes meaning zero. It's good that he sent him at zero AD, isn't it? Like, you wouldn't want to send him 657 BC or something silly like that, or 100, he sent him right on the zero so that everyone would remember it. I'm being silly there, but of course, (laughs) the whole date system is about Jesus because at just the right time, he came to bring his salvation. Uh, Mark 1 says, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The time's right. It's here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, the good news. But God has a perfect timing in our lives too, doesn't he? He's always doing things at just the right time. But at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jody and I have been watching a bit of Louis Giglio lately. I don't know if you know Louis Giglio. He's a preacher. And, and he, we, one series we've been watching about grace. And, and he said, Christ died for the ungodly. He said, you know, if you're, if you're godly, there's no gospel for you. There's no good news for you. Nothing. The gospel is only, the good news is only for the ungodly. That's good for all of us then, isn't it? Yeah, it's good for us. Um. Maybe that's why some people who think they're godly get so angry about the message of the gospel. Because there's no good news for the self-righteous. There's only good news for those who are ungodly, who understand their ungodliness. Because, as we've said, been saying lately, when you understand your ungodliness, you repent, and, and, and then you have faith. Or what did Jesus say there? The time has fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. When you know that you're ungodly, you know you have no hope, When you confess that, you are naturally confessing, I absolutely need the hope that comes through Jesus. They go together. Repentance to give up on yourself, to give up on your goodness, and faith to trust in his goodness. There's a flip side of the same coin. 
Now, Paul is saying just quite clearly in this, as he says many times, God's love is for the undeserving. And this love is not a result of anything, any worth or any good things that the people have done, but it comes purely from the fact that he is God who brings about his plans. And so God is completely free. He's not bound to anyone. He chooses to love us. I've heard people uh, say who have been adopted, they reckon, you know, I understand the love of my parents, my adoptive parents, better than the other kids do. Because I know I was chosen to be... They have, my parents have chosen to love me. They didn't just baby popped out and there I was and I had to love them because I was there. They've actually said, I choose to love you. Well, that's what God's done for us. That's good, isn't it? He, he, he hasn't just said, I guess I have to love them. There's some better ones around. No. He says, I choose you and I choose to love you. That's good, isn't it? While we were still weak, while we were still powerless, while we were still sinners, at just the right time, he died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God chose his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's different ways. The way that I've always interpreted this was, was this, and it could be right or I could be wrong. So I'm going to tell you both ways. It doesn't make much difference, but you might be interested. Um, firstly, it's saying very rarely would someone die for a righteous person, someone who's, say, you know, right before God, a, a, a person of faith, or maybe, but sometimes, not, not an average person, very rarely would someone die for an average person. Though perhaps for someone who is very good, they might die. Someone who is extremely influential or powerful or, you know, it's, you know like I've said before, maybe it's a great cancer doctor who's just on the breakthrough of... of you know, um, finding a cure for cancer. Maybe someone would die for him. But, you know, well, I don't want to point to anyone. <laughs> but I can point to everyone. <laughs> but fast, would someone dare to die? But Christ showed his love in that he died for the ungodly. Not just the people who are average, not just the people who are great, but he died for the rotten people. Or it could be like this, and it could be just quite simply this. Very scarcely would someone die for a righteous person, although occasionally someone might die for a good person. You know, you know, someone might. Just There's no distinction. It's just saying. In either case, those who are rotten to the core, God showed his love for them, and he dies for the ungodly. Does that make sense? And God showed his love for us, verse 8 says, in that while we were sinners, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that shows is in the present tense. What it's saying is, God's showing constantly his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or as Colin Buchanan said, living the gospel. It's not just a thing of the past. Yes, you were saved by it, but you were saved into it and you need it and it's everything to you every day. Because for one simple reason, if we do go on sinning, so we need Christ all the time. 
But actually, we need to live constantly in, with the awareness that we live by God's grace and his mercy. We need his power. We need him for everything. Um, and as soon as we start to rely on ourselves, we start to lose the plot. Since, therefore, we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we save by him from the wrath of God? There's that word again. Do you notice how often wrath is coming up in Romans? Anger. Oh, the anger of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Because it says, For if while we were enemies, we were still reckoned enemies of God. Not just kind of people who are indifferent to him. Enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? I'm sorry, I've mixed up my Bible translations a bit in this, so I'm sorry about that. That was an error of my computer. But justified, we were made right with God by his blood, which, which means quite simply his death. His blood was shed blood unto death. That was a sacrifice that's made in the temple for a sacrifice where the blood came from the person who had to, or from the animal that had to die. Jesus had to die and he saved us from the wrath of God. He saved us from the anger of God, that is. The anger against who? Against the ungodly, against sinners. God's anger is against them. And this is great news for the ungodly. We are justified through Jesus and we are no longer God's enemies. We've been reconciled to the Father. And the relationship with the Father is perfectly restored because we have been made perfect. We weren't perfect. No one is perfect. And Jesus has made us perfect so that we can stand before God with no guilt, no shame. We don't have to run and hide. We don't have to stand wondering if one day he's going to turn from us. He has chosen to love us. He's chosen to call us his own. We have a pure reconciliation without a hint of a barrier or a damaged hope. Okay. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Even better than that, because of this reconciliation, we rejoice. That means we have joy. Didn't I have to smile, everybody? A deep, unspeakable joy, which doesn't always cause smiles. Heartfelt joy, an unshakable joy. Unshakable. You can't knock it over, even whatever we face. When, when my girls were younger, I used to play a game which I called flea bite with them. And because, you know, I used to pay them out, we were in the swimming pool or down swimming in the river. I used to stand there and they used to try and bring me down, knock me over. Which is pretty cool when the kids are only this high. And they're shaking your legs and they're shaking and shaking and you stand there. And I'd say, well, is there a flea biting me or something? You know, and then they'd all gang up and they'd all be grabbing hold of your leg and you're standing there, yeah, whatever. Yep. I can't knock you over. Yep. I stopped playing when they got to about 40 kilos um, <laughs> because three of them really could take me down, but that never happened, so that's because I stopped at just the right time. Nothing could, nothing could do... You see, the things we face in life are serious sometimes. We have serious grief, serious suffering, serious doubt, serious pain, right? But in light of the joy that comes to us 
through the reconciliation of our Lord Jesus Christ, through that, these things are a flea bite. They will not knock us over. They cannot. Do you understand? Not death nor life. That's a big statement, isn't it? Not death nor life. No. Death cannot shake us. Nor angels, which I think probably includes evil angels, demons, nor rulers. None of the rulers of this life can shake our joy. No politician can shake our joy. We never get angry with our politicians. They never upset us, do they? Yeah. Nor the things present, nor the things to come. The future. Nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation. You get it. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Our joy is unshakable. Nothing can shake it. And that joy comes because we have been restored to the Father and we're in a relationship with him. And we know him. And that's the greatest and most important blessing of our life. We know the Father. We know we've been restored. Now, example of a hero from the faith. This is, it will seem strange to you, but it's, it's really... Uh, um, it comes from Luke 23, and it comes from the crucifixion event, and it says two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And jumping down a bit, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, it says that to begin with, both of these criminals, either side, were hurling abuse at Jesus. They were both abusing him. And then something changed in one. What did that, something changed this, this bloke's tune. It's, it's really difficult. To see the, it's, it's easy to understand this conversation, but to see this conversation going on with three crucified men, is, it's, it's just, how can, we, how can we get this in our modern day? But he'd seen Jesus say, as they nailed his hands to the cross, Father, forgive them. That might have changed him, mightn't it? It's hard to know. He saw Jesus refuse, you know, they, they would drug the people because they, they would, they'd fight back all the time. No one willingly puts out their hands. Jesus refused those drugs and put out his hands and, and to be nailed. He saw that. I don't know, he saw the sign that said King of the Jews. Something happened which was monumental in this person's life. This wasn't just a bloke going, hmm, I wonder. This is... All of the power of God coming to change a person's heart so that they could follow him. They, to change from the powers of darkness, uh, you know, under the kingdom of darkness to the power of the, and the kingdom of the son that he loved. This is a monumental change that comes in this man. He was a thief and he had done nothing 
to deserve being saved. Had he? As for good works, they didn't come out very... By the time he became a Christian, he was within hours of death. No good works there. He had nothing in him. He was a sinner. He was ungodly. But something very powerful changed him and he turns to his angry friend and he says this, don't you fear God? The fear of God, the Bible tells us, is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, also, Louis Giglio said this. He said, the Hebrew word for fear means fear. That's good. It's good to have someone tell you that. Because what we hear sometimes is, well, fear means, well, it doesn't mean fear. <laughs> yeah, okay. It just, it does, it actually. Because Jesus says things like, don't fear the one who can kill the body, fear the one who can put your soul in hell. In other words, and it's the same word, which is the word phobos, which we get, of course, arachnophobia, which means fear of spiders. It doesn't mean reverential awe of spiders. I worship the spider. Um, it's not that. It means fear of spiders. Why? Because they could cause pain or possibly worse. Okay. Don't fear the one who can, who can hurt your body, but fear God. Now that's, that's something that's said right throughout Scripture in, very, in many different ways. It actually always says, don't fear those people, fear God. When it comes to, you know, we've been talking about conspiracies in our Bible studies, conspiracies and vaccinations. Remember that great Bible study we read from Isaiah 8? Don't fear what they fear, the people around you. Don't fear that. Now, what do they fear? Well, there's two things in our time, isn't it? They fear death by COVID, death by vaccination. (laughs) They fear them both. Don't fear what they fear. Fear the Lord. Okay? They can't, they can't destroy you. Fear God. Because, let's face it, whether you die by vaccination or die by COVID or die some other way, there's someone you're going to face that you should fear and have a holy fear for. Is that fair? It's crucial. When in, in, in Romans 3, when, when at, the, at the finality of three painful chapters that we all went through where we talked about sin and then sin and then the depths of sin and no one's good and no one seeks God and everybody's fallen and there's idolatry and blah, 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 blah. He makes one final statement. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's where it finishes. We've been talking about the wrath of God and sometimes by talking about it a lot, we kind of just go, oh yeah, the wrath of God. Propitiation, blah, blah, blah. If, if God stands against sinners and we are sinners, I'm just saying this is serious. It is reverence. Yes, it is awe. And it's a healthy fear. These two criminals were about to die. They were about to face God. They should fear, yeah? You should actually, you know, be gripped with this thought, I should take this moment very seriously. I should fear the creator of all. God is, you see, when we fear God, we don't put him as a tack on in our lives. We put him at the centre of our lives, don't we? 
fear of God means we put God above our relationships, our life goals, our successes, our possessions, our works, our everything. Yeah? We rightly have God is God and no one else is God and nothing else is God. I'll tell you a story. This is not a story to frighten you, but it was just, it, it just happened, so we should, I don't know, when, when we were in Wakery, there was um, three, three blokes. They, they all were quite, you call, they, were, they were in their early 40s, all three of them. Broken lives, broken relationships. Everything was going bad for them. Most of it was self-caused. And they ended up living out on a block, basically, in 50% squalor. And, they, and uh, one of them actually started coming to church. He seemingly became a Christian. And at the age of 42, he had a heart attack and he just dropped dead on the spot. And we went out to visit the other two. And they were terrified which is a fair thing. Yeah, that could happen to me. They didn't fear God, they just feared death, unfortunately. Because exactly a month later, the other one, another one of them, who was 43, had the same fate. He died on the spot. The other one was terrified too then, but he never he didn't want to see us. <laughs> he didn't want to talk to us. There was no visiting anymore. Don't fear death though. See? Fear God. He's the one after death. He's the one over death. He's the one over all. I, I mean, it's true we don't know when we're going to die. Don't fear what they fear. Hear this. Christ died for the ungodly. Like this thief who rightly said, don't you fear God? Because I'm thinking right now we should. Fear God. Because he said, since we're under this, you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. What's that he's showing? I know I'm a sinner. I'm wrong. I've done wrong. That's what he's saying. That's called repentance, isn't it? And he's nailed to the cross. He fears God. He repents. He owns up to his sin. We, we, we're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He understands who Jesus is. He understands Jesus' perfection. In that moment, he knows this man is a good man. This man is a righteous man. He didn't deserve what he's getting. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew Jesus could save him. He knew Jesus could take him into an eternal kingdom. He knew that if Jesus remembered him, he wouldn't be forgotten. In other words, he would live forever. But the thing that I've just realised as I was reading this, which I've never seen before, is you've got this incredibly horrible, terrible scene of three crosses and this man turns to Jesus and he calls him by name. Jesus. The name that means saviour. When he saves. He calls him by name. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't that incredible? This man, the first convert of Calvary, I think we can probably say that with pretty much surety. The first man, he set down the way that it is to come to faith for every person afterwards. There is no other way that you come to faith. 
except for acknowledgement, fear of God, acknowledgement of my sin, acknowledgement of the perfection of God, and that if Jesus comes and saves me, he will save me and take me home. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise, which means Eden, the fulfilment, heaven. When? Today. When are they going to die? Today. Jesus died for the ungodly. This sinner, this man believed in Jesus. And he's in the presence of God now. Forever and forever thankful for the grace of God, isn't he? He would be. Yeah. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in the joy that comes only for Jesus. Now, what I want to say is this: this criminal is it doesn't. It's not like you know. We say, well, some people say like this, and some say like this. But this guy's a bit of an unusual case. He wasn't even baptized. Did you notice that? No one splashed water on him quickly before he died. <laughs> not even baptized. Yeah, he's not a strange case. He had no. This guy had no works to deserve it. Whereas, well, other people they got works to deserve it. No. This guy is the norm of how a person comes to be saved. He's a template for every other Christian in history. You see, he is an example of what faith looks like. Now, what is it about that, what I've just said, that we don't like? (laughs) He's an undeserving mongrel. He never got himself together. He never did anything. Yes, he did. He had faith in Jesus. The only thing that's of any value for any of us ever. Can you see that? He's a hero of the faith. Really. He was ungodly. He knew it. He feared God. He knew Jesus was a perfect saviour. He knew that Jesus could save him. Save him and Jesus said, yes. Today you'll be with me in paradise. For at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the message. And when we live in that, we will have true and pure and lasting joy. And without that, well, there's no hope. There's no gospel. No good news. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. And we thank you for the incredible grace that you had that caused this criminal, undeserving as he was, to be saved. What incredible grace, Father. We thank you that that's the same grace that we're under. Thank you for your amazing grace. We call it amazing because... We just haven't done anything to get it. It's all you. Father, I pray that in light of that grace, you would cause us to live lives given to you. Lives where you are first every day, every hour, every moment. Where our desires are put aside. Where our other smaller and pathetic gods are put aside. Father, 
Enlighten us by your spirit to live in this constant turning to you. Constant knowledge that all that we have is in you so that we may live in all the fullness it is to be called children of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.